I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hey, everyone. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, we have a guest today. Uh, I met our guest, uh, I want to say almost a year ago now. I uh, got uh, connected through a project um, from a friend of mine, and uh, we've been working on a couple things together uh, since. So um, he started a development company that's in the retail sector, fairly locally, but have done some stuff across the nation. Um, and they have a unique approach to development. So I wanted to bring him on to talk a little bit about his company and the approach that they take, because I think it's really cool. And I really hope this sort of ideology spreads. So um, please help me welcome Leandro Tyberg. <laughs> Leandro, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure, Demetrius and Jason. Thank you both for having me on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Leandro, so your company is Prime Store. Yes. Can you talk a little bit quickly about Prime Store and um, sort of how you guys, a quick snapshot of how you guys approach development? Yeah. So, you know, um, we're a bit of a different kind of an animal. We're what I call a developer with a very small D. Um, we're basically a community focused, community centric development company facilitator working on neighborhoods that quite frankly other people see as underserved or low-income communities 
and have really suffered from disinvestment and, you know, racism and issues that, quite frankly, we feel really strongly about. And so what we basically try to do at our company is act as a, a bridge, a facilitator between the capital markets, the tenant community, the electeds, and then local stakeholders, and then try to kind of weave a fabric of a project that understands the community's best interest by asking the community what they actually want uh, and not the opposite, not walking into a community and saying, here's what you're going to get <laughs> and here are the type of tenants that you deserve. It's really the opposite where we walk in with a blank slate. Um, a lot of patience is needed. These projects take very, very, very uh, hard work and a very long time. Um, the project, uh, Demetrius, that you've been helping me with uh, in Watts in Southern California, this will be our 13th year working on the project. Um, and we still have not only another five years to go, but you know we don't sell our projects. So um, they're basically like lifelong commitments to communities. And that approach obviously is very different than what the development community, you know, writ large has been known for, where, you know, most of the models have been what they call merchant developers, where they come in, put in a couple of tenants, sell, extract value, get the hell out of there. Yeah. And our concept is literally the opposite. It's extremely um, like personal, you know, like everybody that we work with, including you, um, the type of people that we want working on our projects understand that we're doing something more than just a development. There's something much, much deeper about, you know, the needs that our community has. And then the feeling that you get when you're trying to address those needs yeah. is a very powerful experience. Yeah. One of the things that, that I love about the way that you guys approach it, and it's not, it's not like, um, you know, like you mentioned it kind of coming in and, and just throwing something in and getting out. You guys take a really, um, thoughtful approach even to the like to the design level it's not just some stucco box that just goes in just to have a building and then they're out of there you guys have like really high quality design like contemporary or whatever the aesthetic is but it's like very intentional and well-developed design yeah but you're, you're just saying that because you're one of the designers <laughs> Good point. Really good point. Well, the one that I'm doing is interior work <laughs> on the exterior of the entire complex. Wait, wait, wait. Like the insides don't matter? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, so I don't have a uh, a bias <laughs> for the exterior. Uh, but you I, I think I think you're you're right. Look, each of our projects they need to be reflections of how people feel. And they need to be reflections of the identity of the community. We don't always know what that is. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you have to walk in really, really with an open heart and open mind mm -hmm. and spend the years of time, you know, meeting with community groups, understanding programming, uh, understanding the intent, and then really trying to find what is that specialness that people want to see reflected in projects in their community. So, yeah, as you go through the projects that we've done, they really all do look different. In some communities, we may end up doing a, you know, Legoreta Baragan style modern design mm -hmm. because the community wants to push towards that. In another community, uh, we've, you know, been faced with, they want to do a California classic missions design. 
because they perceive that as historical and valuable. Um, over the last couple of years, people have moved away from those traditional architectural concepts and said, we want to do something just unique, super contemporary, super special. Um, and as we chatted about the, the project that you've been helping with in Watts, this is uh, the redevelopment of the Jordan Downs uh, public housing project. And in that project, we wanted to take and select the materials that had a kind of a depth to them, which is a mirror of the depth of the community. So for example, we went with a very contemporary Mediterranean concept with a core 10 steel cladding that would literally rust and change over time. Super cool. So when we first installed the, the core 10 cladding over all of the facades, everyone's like, they're literally silver. How could you put a silver <laughs> building here? And we we're like, no, 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 just wait, just wait. It'll change. It'll, it'll rust. Um, and of course we designed for it. So we created special drip edges and landscaping planners. So as the years wore on and the, the core 10 changed, it wasn't of course staining the, the landscaping and hardscaping. <laughs> and, and what I love about it is you go there now and it's, it's basically achieved this woodsy red crimson natural hue that every time I visit the center, it's a little different <laughs> and it's the way we call it. It's, it's almost like maturing mm -hmm. and that's how we feel about the community that we've, you know, really come to fall in love with in Watts where Watts has got so much history, so much history, historical knowledge trapped there that by creating materials that offer maturity, that offer this reflection of change and not stagnant material concepts where it's like, this is what it's going to be forever. Mm -hmm. um, for us, it was really meaningful. And the more we worked with the community and the more they understood the material selection, they love that their, their project literally is like a living, breathing animal that constantly changes. Yeah, you know, and and that is a unique function of what we call Freedom Plaza in Watts. And, and again, every one of our centers is different. the The one thing that is definitely common in all of them is, you know, we're allergic to fences, <laughs> and it's the the you know the opposite of what we call fortress architecture, mm -hmm. where you're really trying to keep people away or keep a barrier between the the public and the private we literally want to break that apart and and like color so outside the lines that you you don't really know what's public and private you don't really know where the sidewalk you know meets the private property it's just kind of a blend yeah and then the community takes ownership of it in that sense yeah that that's the the overall most important component so not only are projects programmed by the community um, our projects are named by the community. Um, they help us select the tenant mix. They educate us on the merchandising plan. And then most importantly, they're ultimately built by the community. So we have a very, very strong passion for local hire uh, on all of our projects, whether it's required by government agencies or not. Uh, on this project, for example, um, the housing authority, which was uh, effectively our landlord, because it is public housing projects, 
they mandated a 30% local hire requirement. Um, and we ended up achieving 78%, wow. which uh, after 28 years of doing this was literally the best we've ever done, which makes me like so happy. I mean, we, we've had pr- opportunities to work in communities from the far south side of Chicago to uh, Arizona, Texas, Nevada, and of course, you know, home is Southern California, but we've never hit 78% before. So I, I, I mean, for me, that metric is literally the most valuable metric of the whole project. Yeah, we got great tenants and it's amazing, but wow, it was built by, you know, local community leaders. Yeah. That is very powerful. And when the community is involved with all aspects of the project, you'll find that they think of the project as theirs, which is exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. So the reason we don't have to worry about fences and fortress architecture is because the community effectively f- takes care of it. I'm super curious when you're, you're talking about all the different involvement from the community and talking yeah. about naming and all these other kind of, like, there's got to be a highly organized process you guys go through for welcoming all this feedback. Because a lot of us, including myself, get super concerned about or super leery of getting a ton of opinions from so many different areas because it becomes, you know, kind of a mess. So I'm curious how you guys go about organizing that and handling that. So we do all of our community outreach in-house and our community outreach, marketing, branding um, department is literally larger than the development department. So we literally put a focus on that more than we do other aspects of just the nuts and bolts of putting things together. And, you know, for us, again, that's the part that we find literally most meaningful as far as collecting all the data, you know, we're doing a new project with Metro and the County called the Vermont uh, Manchester transit priority project. And we're still in the early stages, but one of the first things we did before we literally have like done the plans is we created a community advisory council of 26 people. And the, the CAC, as we call it, which is made up of community representatives, both from churches, nonprofits, local businesses, uh, even some law enforcement, the council office, supervisor's office. Um, we're getting all of this feedback up front. And then we create a repository of all this information. And, you know, and the trick is not filtering the repository. It's kind of like getting a, a Facebook post that you don't like, you, you got to keep it up there. <laughs> you know? you got to be authentic. Like, yeah, they're blemishes and all. Um, and the repository acts as this almost this like memory well of this is all the things that we've heard. And trust me, there are things that we hear where uh, they're not always complimentary and that's natural, right? Uh, this is not easy. Um, and it's very tangible. This is, this is, changing people's lives and their communities. Um, so of course it's going to have an impact. Um, here's, here's what I could tell you also, Jason, though. And I think this for me has been something that I, is very personal and, and I'm going to be very blunt with you. It's a little bit of the secret sauce. So I probably, you know, whatever you do, don't put this on the, the airwaves. But the approach that we have with community outreach is we are a part of the community and therefore any opinion that is stated is not against us. It's against all of the issues that we're trying to ameliorate. Sure. And so when they say we don't want 
development in our neighborhood. We don't want this in our neighborhood. We, we want this. We want th-. our whole approach is damn right. That's exactly right. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's it, for, for me, it never feels like they're attacking the project. Hmm. They're attacking the issues that we need to be mindful of so that we can make sure to, you know, not fall into that, that trap or that pitfall. Right. Free information, basically. It's free information and it's all valuable. Yeah. Now, if you're going to walk in to a neighborhood and say, hey, we think you deserve a McDonald's, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because then you're walking in with a preconceived notion of what's best I am, for what, yep. not only what's best for them, but I'm doing this project for the financial gain for me. Yep. As opposed to I'm doing this project for the financial gain of everybody. And the better that the city and the county do as my partner, the better the com- that the community does as my partner, then the better we will do. Because again, sure. since we're not selling, you know, our performers aren't necessarily based with a pure, you know, it, this is the perfect threshold. And if we don't meet that hurdle, we ain't doing it. Hmm. Um, it's a little bit more blended than that. There's intangibles um, that we calculate within our, our decision-making process that, you know, that add value to it. Leandro, you mentioned that you guys uh, hang on to the properties and you, yeah. you, you do property management after uh, completing the project. Right. Um, do you end up seeing your, uh, the big payoff on the property management side in comparison to, because you're not solely looking at just a hard line if the project pencils or not, if you're going to make money on it. Um, does, is that where the property management side sort of picks up any, um, any areas that fall short in the development of it? So it's a, it's a challenging question because we are not doing the development project to then yield a revenue on the property management. We consider that a bonus and ancillary. Um, uh, in our company, about 50% of the revenue is from the property management side and about the other 45% is development and the other 5% is usually acquisitions and leasing. Okay. So it's a pretty fair blend. What the reason we love doing property management is one, it lets us stay completely connected with the communities that we're serving and we're able to then select vendors, whether it's landscaping, security, um, preventative maintenance that are from the community. Mm -hmm. And that way it keeps that kind of fabric intact. Got it. Also, the property management side of the business keeps us completely connected with the tenants. So understanding tenant sales, understanding what works for them, understanding their concerns uh, and their operational costs makes us better developers makes us more aware of everyone's issues. Um, now, after, you know, 28 years, our, our Rolodex of, my God, do people still have Rolodexes? <laughs> um, I'm sure a few do. Someone, Yeah, <laughs> I do. My God. Um, our, our, our tenant contact list is really, really strong. And, you know, we've had the, the blessing of working with a lot of, uh, you know, most tenants in America. So, we were able to track the sales in our other projects and they, they, you know, when they're getting a call from prime store, they're, they're usually aware that, Oh, our centers in their inner city neighborhoods do better sales per square foot than affluent 
mm-hmm. you know, West Side neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the the communities that we're serving, the truth of the matter is that people spend their money on essentials, mm-hmm. and they spend their money on things that they perceive as having a value. So clearly, we're not doing luxury stores. You know, we're providing stores that the community needs, and from a competitive advantage, there's not a lot around us. You know, we're usually putting in projects that are in food deserts that are in, you know, historically, you know, underplanned communities where the previous zoning was just strip center zoning and uh, a lot of contamination, a lot of, you know, brownfield cleanup in the projects that we do. But that also gives us a competitive advantage too, because when we create a large project, and you zoom out on Google Earth, you're just seeing rooftops all around us, just lots and lots of homes, Yeah, which, you know, is, is a great blocker for people trying to put a project right next to you. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the tenants know that. So they're more willing to participate in a prime store project because of those, you know, parameters that they're used to. Yeah. Um, and then one thing I wanted to mention, like, so years, years ago, there was just no chance of getting big name company uh, stores, retail stores to come into places like Compton, LA, uh, certain areas of LA, Watts. Totally. And then Magic Johnson on a on a you know high profile level came in and was like, Starbucks, come in, follow me, and it completely shifted the paradigm um, on a on a larger scale. One, did you guys kind of? catch into that tailwind and see a change in, in um, how effective you guys were able to deliver those projects with that change in mindset. Um, and then two, I wanted to highlight how you guys, uh, particularly at uh, Freedom Plaza, were able to get some of these like the Habit Burger and Nike and a couple other places into that. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, first, I'll be very clear. I have a a mad amount of respect for Magic Johnson. You know, he really was talking about things that we were talking about at the right time. Mm -hmm. Of course, his platform is uh, significantly taller than mine because I'm only like (laughs) 5'5". And and I I don't play any sports at all. Um, So, But it looks like you do play guitar. I play guitar, but no sports. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rock, baby, but but I can't dribble for crap. and and so, you know, Magic was educating people about the power of inner cities at the time that we were also doing that, but his platform was just so, so much bigger. Um, we were working with Magic on a lot of his coffee shops. Uh, that he was effectively our tenant through what they called urban coffee opportunities. We certainly could not have done it without him, right? We're not operators of coffee shops. We're not operators of tenant stores. We're developers. Um, and so he was just so forward thinking in having the the courage and intelligence to enter some of our projects as our tenant. It, you know, it's something that we'll always be very grateful for. You know, our first project as a company was the summer after the riots of 1992. That's literally when I, I dropped out of college and my, my dad uh, and my brother-in-law, Arturo, uh, who's my partner today at Prime Store, called me and said, hey, everything's on fire. And um, we've got this property in South LA that we don't know what to do with. And, you know, maybe we can figure out what to do. Artur and I kind of rolled up our sleeves and said, okay, well, 
what can we do in this abandoned, burned out piece of property um, at the southwest corner of Southwestern and 68th Street, 6801 Southwestern. And uh, Arturo is such an incredible businessman. He was able to get a lease with the LA County Office of Education to start a Head Start program for kids. And he said, Leandro, can you, can you build it? And, you know, we, both of us didn't really know what we were doing <laughs> at all, at all. And, you know, we spent that summer figuring out how to build this 4,000 square foot CMU building. And, you know, by the time, you know, the summer was over, we turned around and looked at this thing and almost just started crying. Where it was like, wow, we did this. And it was, it was an incredible education working in South LA you know, the summer after the riots. Cause for, for those of, of us who lived through that, the air felt so scary mm-hmm. after the riots. It was like, everybody was driving three car lengths apart because you never knew if you were going to get jacked. Mm-hmm. Everybody had their windows up. Nobody would look left or right. You just like drove down the streets <laughs> staring forward mm-hmm. and you just never knew when something would ignite. You know, it felt like a powder keg and it was, it was, scary and painful. You could, you could feel it. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I kind of remember turning around one day and, and saying, well, am I going to, you know, go back to college? Am I going to be a poet? Am I going to play guitar? And I was like, no, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I just want to like develop properties that are different and meaningful and have an impact. And look, I'll be, you know, Demetrius, you, you and I are, are friends and, and you know, my story a little bit that like all of us, there's trauma and there's pain and um, not all of us have the tools to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And not of all, all of us made a lot of great choices in youth. Mm. <laughs> um, and I certainly Amen. didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I didn't harness the pain of my life well. And I was, I was, and always am, you know, a pretty sensitive person. And uh, also, you know, I, I moved to America when I was five to Los Angeles and pretty traumatic kind of upbringing. So in our own humble way, I found that the more we were dedicated to working on properties that needed healing, mm-hmm. the more in a very selfish way, I found it was kind of healing me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and healing the people working on it. And that we were talking in a kind of intentional way that people weren't used to. And so, you know, that's where it began. And, and thank God that Magic then used his platform and bullhorn to really like, you know, ring the bell and, and champion the cause. Um, you know, we'll be forever grateful for that. Yeah. And, and then I'm sorry, the, the last question you po- posed about the tenants that we bring, the tenants that we're trying to bring to our neighborhoods, we want to be having the same conversation that we're having at the office about racial equity, about non-extractive economics. And we want them to be having that conversation where they're looking at the community as a partner. And that's why there are certain tenants that, you know, will just never be a part of our shopping centers uh, or, you know, P3 projects. And that's fine. But we're trying to, you know, our, our, our whole company philosophy is to be a facilitator and educator throughout the whole way. And that includes the tenants. And so with, with our new project in Watts, we're very happy to have the 
what's called the Starbucks Community Store. Uh, it is a very different concept than the traditional Starbucks concepts. There's actually a community room dedicated to the community where they train baristas and people who want to grow in the Starbucks corporation, um, help them with, with a lot of kind of skills and training one step beyond just a regular store. Um, there's local artists and muralists that were hired to decorate the store, help design it. We also have the Nike community store where a portion of the profits go back into the local uh, wellness programs of the community. As you mentioned, you know, we love the habit. Um, we, uh, also, you know, it, it is a food desert in Watts. So we put in a smart and final, uh, express grocer, which is, has you know, wonderful, healthy, fresh food, uh, raw stress for less. And then we have to also, you know, recognize that you've been a champion in helping us with some of our local entrepreneurs that need some help with design. So, you know, Jason, we hired uh, Demetrius's company to be our designer and architect for this incredible concept called Southern Girl Desserts, which is founded by these two incredibly wonderful African-American business ladies who won Cupcake Wars and are just angels when it comes to caring about their community. And the quality of what they put out is just ridiculous. It's just so delicious and, you know, incredible fan favorites. Um, uh, we had uh, worked with them on their first location in Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Plaza, I think about eight years ago. And we're so happy to bring them now to Watts. Um, Demetrius is designing their store and it's a unique store. It's got a bit of a commissary and an area where people can, uh, where they'll be able to do a little bit of training and teach people from the community, you know, baking techniques. Demetrius is also helping us with a concept called the Think Watts Foundation, which is a mutual friend named Styx, who's the one who introduced us. Mm -hmm. And Styx provides these incredible programs for kids with wellness, life skills, training, financial literacy. He's having just awesome. an incredibly meaningful impact. And uh, that's just, you know, we can't do that without you, Demetrius. So thank you. Thank you. While I appreciate the uh, pat on the back, uh, we're up against it today, but we clearly have so much more a to longer, talk. Longer, longer episode. Yeah, we clearly have so much more to talk with you about. So we'll we'll get you back on here in our next season, um, and then probably do a full hour and focus in maybe on one of the um, projects that you're working on at the time. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad I didn't come off like a total dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I love what you guys are doing here. Thank you so much, Leandro. Thank you uh, for listening. Jason, thanks for hanging out. Again, we have the episode that came out last week, uh, the long-form episode that came out last week, which is the Eiffel Tower, so don't forget to check that out. Other than that, we will talk again on Tuesday. Thanks. Thank you again to Leandro. To find out more about Prime Store, you can check out their website, primestore.com. That's P-R-I-M-E-S-T-O-R.com. And you can follow them on social media. Twitter is at Prime Store. And on Instagram, at Prime Store Development. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com
you can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.